Hi, everyone, and welcome to the H1 2021 Audien video call. Hope you've all been well, and thanks for joining us today. My name is Ethan Tandowski, and I'm here from live from the Amsterdam headquarters of Audien, together with our CEO, Peter van der Deuce, and our CFO, Ingo Autahaka, who will talk you through our first half results. To start, we have a short video, which will cover some of the trends we've seen on our platform and in the broader industry. Enjoy. We've seen a half year of strong profitable growth despite the COVID-19 pandemic continuing to impact the day-to-day -day of many of our merchants and their shoppers. Within this shifting landscape, many historical platform trends persisted in the first half of 2021. We saw merchants already on the platform again contribute over 80% volume growth and volume churn remained low. We also saw the regional diversification of net revenue contributions again increase. Macroeconomic trends were consistent with previous periods too. Some of them were even accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Economies around the world are evolving from cash to cashless societies and commerce continued to move online at an increased pace. The consistency of these trends and our continued strong execution led to a solid half of results. We processed 216 billion in the first half of 2021, up 67% year on year. Of these volumes, point-of-sale volume was 22.8 billion, accounting for 11% of total process volume. Despite a turbulent period for in-store, POS volume growing in line with overall business is a testament to the strength of our unified commerce offering. Net revenue was 445 million, up 46% year-on-year. EBITDA was 272.7 million, up 65% year on year. EBITDA margin was 61%, as we continue to see increased operating leverage as we grow the business. If you look at these results, you can see we're becoming a more global business every cycle since we went public. These results are a consequence of our long-term approach to investing in our solution. One such space is platforms, an increasingly dominant business model. For merchants in this space, we've built Agen for Platforms, a solution that we're seeing significant traction with as platform business models are adopted in more verticals. We saw merchants continuing to adopt our unified commerce solution as commerce had to largely move online throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Due to this reality, multi-channel shopper journeys are now ingrained in shopper behavior and shifted from being a nice-to-have to a need-to-have for businesses around the world. The Atien team totaled 1,954 colleagues at the end of H1, as growing the team continues to be a key focus. We are proud to see that we are continuously able to add top talents to the team, now growing of a larger base in more offices and largely remote. Management still sees every new hire prior to joining. We maintain the same outlook as we continue to build agent for the long term.
great to see the continued growth of our business. And major shout out to the design team. Another really well done video. Thanks for that. We'll now move into a short discussion with Peter and Ingo, which will be followed by a Q&A from you all. You can now use the Q&A functionality at the bottom of your screen to ask your questions. And when doing so, please leave your full name and firm you represent. But maybe to start with a short discussion with the three of us. So Peter, to start with you, anything that you'd like to highlight in the first half of the year? And is it really true that the board still meets every candidate that comes into Ajen? Um, well, I'm very pleased to see that more than 80% of our growth is again from existing merchants. Um, and at the same time, we have a very low churn in uh, sub 1% of merchants. Uh, that proves that we service our merchants well and that they want to grant us more business. Uh, this is an engine that has been running now for years that we signed up new merchants. They start small with us. We gain their trust and they give us more and more volume. So I'm very happy to see that that trend is also the case this year. Um, regarding employees, do we still see everyone? Uh, yes. So you cannot be hired by Altien without having seen one of the six board members. Um, it's very important for us to keep the bar high and uh, also to be very accessible. And that means that everybody who works for Altien has at least spoken for like half an hour with one of the board members. Um, we have a very deep bench. You see that we promote, promote internally. Uh, at this time, we're now over 2,000 employees, uh, but 9,954 uh, 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 when we closed the uh, half year. Uh, so we are growing business and uh, we're investing heavily in our employees. Wow. So to summarize, you would say we focused on our merchants, we focused on our team, and we continue to grow uh, in both during the, the first half. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Great. And Ingo, I'm sure you have something to add. Anything else you'd like to highlight? Uh, yeah, thanks, Ethan. Um, I think very much in line with what Peter just said. Um, I'm mostly proud of the fact that we have this growth at scale. Um, I think the land and expand strategy that we have with our merchants uh, really pays out. So we start to work uh, on projects with them, gain their trust over time. And as a result, we get more volume. And of course, that's uh, something to be very proud of. At the same time, I think I'm very proud of the fact that we become a more global uh, company every cycle. We become more global from a team perspective with more than 20 offices around the world where we've added new team members over the past six months, uh, but also more global from a revenue perspective. Uh, the way how North America now contributes to uh, total net revenue is uh, getting more and more significant. And I think that's a strong proof that we're building the right uh, offering in the U.S. And U.S. is now total 22% of net revenues. And I think that's a great achievement of the, the team in the U.S. Yeah. So some long-term payoffs we've seen from some investments in the past, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely uh, what you see right now. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. And if we talk about our merchants, of course, Peter, a, a number of them are still dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Are there any trends or, or macroeconomic uh, things that we've seen on the platform in the first half of the year? Um, well, what you see on the macroeconomic level is that the stores that, that, that were uh, capable of, well, unified commerce now becomes even more important. Stores that were closed could sell uh, online. Yeah. Uh, so having those channels, it's more ingrained in shopper behavior. So there's more an expectation, um, of course, uh, to, to be able to return in store, endless aisle. All those services have become more ingrained. Uh, of course, there are tailwinds, uh, the move from cash to cashless. Um, so uh, that's, a, that's a trend that we see uh, persistent. If you look on the platforms, uh, you see that we have um, 
Um, on the platform, we see that certain verticals are impacted. Of course, first travel was heavily impacted, airlines. Yeah. Uh, now, for the first time, airline, at the end of, the, of uh, this half, it was at the level, at the pre-pandemic level, so no growth, but at least back at the level where it was before. Um, and uh, you see that uh, point-of-sale volumes doubled uh, year over year, so that's, uh, that's quite significant. It's now uh, 11% of volume. Um, then uh, we have proven that we can run the business from home. Uh, so working from home works very well for us. Uh, of course, offices play an important role in keeping our culture. Uh, so we make them a very attractive place to work. But we have always been very flexible. Also pre-pandemic, people could work uh, partly from home. And um, um, what we what we look at is how we can make sure that with maximum flexibility we we run this business going forward. Yeah, clear. So there's uh, been a number of changes, but looking to help our team and our merchants uh, get through it. Clear. Thanks. And Ingo, if we would move to to the product side to innovation, I'm sure a lot has happened this half year. Care to explain? Yeah, absolutely, uh, Ethan. Um, I think um, uh, first of all we continue to iterate on our full stack strategy. We added uh, Japan to the acquiring mix, which basically is a next step in uh, our ambition to become a full global player and, and basically follow our merchants to the countries where they think it's relevant. And of course, uh, yeah, if you want to have this uh, global position, you need to add to, uh, uh, to the portfolio. So really pleased to see that this is live right now. But also more on specific uh, products like uh, issuing, for instance. Uh, issuing, we launched that last year. Uh, in pilot mode and we've added now new use cases uh, to the offering which I think is very much a proof that it is a very flexible offering where it's relatively easy uh, to add new uh, use cases to it. Uh, in this case it's about expense management uh, which we launched for customers like Visma and also uh, today we announced uh, justeattakeaway.com that's going to use it for uh, increasing their revenues and also optimizing their uh, their their uh, their cost basically so we're very pleased to, uh, to see that but also on the on the platform uh, side we continue to uh, to iterate uh, platforms has been very important for us over the recent years uh, it's all started off with uh, marketplaces uh, of course with eBay as a as a huge win but we have now also shifted more towards the software type of businesses uh, we've won uh, hospitality verticals, for instance, a company like CloudBets, which is using our platform now to uh, sell to their sellers. And I think that's for us the way to, uh, uh, to reach the, the long tail. And, and of course, we're very pleased to see the, the huge pickup uh, there. The last point I want to mention is uh, all the uh, iterations we've made on our uh, impact offering. Uh, we try to use our technology for the good. Uh, that's how we launched Giving last year, uh, where uh, merchants are helped to uh, give uh, uh, donations to charities. Uh, um, and, and that's being picked up by a lot of uh, merchants. And we also added this uh, year a, a product which we call Restore, uh, where we help merchants to uh, offset uh, the carbon emissions during transactions. So all kind of great additions and iterations to our uh, product offering where we're uh, very, uh, very proud of. Great. Well, issuing platforms and impact helping our merchants with, the, with their initiatives all sounds good. There's a lot going on. There clearly must be many questions uh, uh, from you all. So as a reminder, you can use the Q&A functionality at the bottom of your screen to ask your questions. 
uh, and we'll move into that right after this. First up, we have Mo Moawala from Goldman Sachs. Mo, please ask your question. Uh, good afternoon, um, Ingo and uh, Peter and Ethan as well. Uh, can you hear me okay? I can hear you well, yes. Mo. Thanks. Great. Um, so I, I had actually a couple. So first of all, just coming back on um, unified commerce. I mean, you've clearly had a head start in this area, even before the pandemic. I think, you know, on the previous call, you talked about, you know, the whole mindset shifting. You know, in the past sort of six months or so, how much of a, a shift have you seen at the customer end? And how is that sort of translated for you in terms of sort of the pipeline, in terms of sort of the momentum, and how quickly you kind of able to kind of ramp up your customers? And it's interesting, the LVMH win um, that, that you sort of talked about in the shareholder letter was quite fascinating. So keen to kind of get your insights and how far of a competitive edge you have in this area to kind of keep driving growth. My second question was on issuing. I think issuing as, as we are seeing from your kind of customer wins is very multifaceted. Um, and be curious to understand how you see, um, you know, these sort of different use cases unfolding and then the sort of the, you know, the sort of the, the cyclical effect this has with, with more and more additional customers. And, and the Visma one is particularly interesting because here you're kind of indirectly approaching the mid-market here um, through a kind of a technology partner. So, so keen to understand that. And when do you think this could start to contribute um, uh, to, your, uh, to your growth and your revenue over the medium term? Thank you. Maybe Peter, to start with the unified commerce question, what are some of the trends we saw this half year? Yeah, so what you see is that unified commerce is now, it was a trend that was there, which is now even more widely embraced. So uh, it's, it's becoming need to have. It's a reason why we win merchants. Uh, think about the body shop, American Eagle. So um, um, it, it, it is, uh, um, it's so much more ingrained in, in the expectation. What is more difficult is to prove that we don't really influence the rollout schedule of our merchants. So it's more difficult to say now we see that this merchant, which was single channel, now became multi-channel because of this trend. But on the macro level, yes, that's what we see happening. And we see that therefore our positioning is really, is really good. Yeah, so the difference between was the timeline accelerated or did this happen where it wouldn't have happened otherwise? That's tougher to tell, but we're seeing that acceleration. On the merchant base, it's more difficult, but on the general portfolio, we see it's happening. Yeah, clear. And Ingo, maybe on issuing, is there uh, anything you want to add about the, the use cases that we mentioned uh, in the shareholder letter or other use cases potentially that we could, uh, we could utilize? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we, we built issuing for the flexibility. I think there was also the large feedback from the uh, potential merchants that we talked to back then when we started to develop that they were looking for flexibility, so different type of use cases. So we developed with, for instance, OTAs in, in mind, uh, but also uh, on food delivery. And then you see now that we're all kind of new use cases. And I think it's not specifically like we have a target list of five new use cases. I think the flexibility that is key to us. And uh, that's why we strongly believe that we have something unique in hands. Uh, the fact that you can issue cards based on a location, time, 
um, uh, type of store where you want to spend it. Uh, these are very uh, important aspects of, of the product. Um, it's a strategic play for us, um, so we're not expecting a lot of revenues on the short term, but of course we're doing this to make sure that we build a stable portfolio on the long term. So it's absolutely uh, a key topic, also if you look at investment uh, from our uh, side uh, to further develop the product. And the flexibility you talk about, that comes from the single platform, I guess? Yeah, indeed. So uh, we built this uh, on our uh, platform. Uh, it is. Uh, it has potentially global reach. We're, we started off in Europe and US, and of course we will continue to add uh, on it. Great. Thanks. Next up, we have Sandeep Deshpande from JP Morgan. Sandeep, you'll be asked to unmute yourself, and then you can ask your question. Yeah, hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you well, Sandeep. Thanks. Hi. Uh, thanks, Ethan. Uh, you know, I mean, when we look at your growth, your growth was incredibly strong in the enterprise part of the business in unified commerce. But when we look at that in mid-market, which has been one of your uh, target areas, it's not as strong. What do you think you need to change there to be able to get that growth to the level you have in your core areas in enterprise and uh, uh, and unified commerce? Is it technology or is it go-to-market? And I have one quick follow-up on POS, which is that clearly you've been very successful in POS unified commerce. Uh, uh, initially, at least when at your IPO, a lot of that growth was coming from European customers. Are you seeing this POS unified commerce success in the US as well? Thank you. Peter, you want to give a comment on what we're seeing with mid-market, whether it's commercial or uh, technical uh, challenges that we see? Yeah, in mid-market, we're, uh, uh, we're investing in a, in, in a few markets, and uh, we're growing there. It's true, it's not at the pace at, uh, at, at the, uh, where the full company grows, um, but that's also because we're, uh, we're looking at what's the best strategy to execute there. Uh, that means that for those smaller merchants, we want to have them through platforms. Uh, through those platforms, we can also provide them, say, with unified commerce. So we do that with uh, Lightspeed or Epos Now. Um, but it's, uh, it's early days in that market segment, so it's not something that worries us. And switching to point of sale, which was the second question, he mentions that we, are, uh, we were focused on Europe at the start. I guess it's a it's a global uh, offering that we have now, or or how do we how do yes, we? Yes, that, that is that is uh, that is great to see that we sign up U.S. domestic merchants for unified commerce, so for all channels, and that's that's when there's complexity that makes up the end very attractive, and uh, that's why you see that U.S. merchants choose for us. Yeah, so definitely a global initiative we have on the point of sale unified commerce side. Yes, yeah. true, great, great. Well, thanks, Sandeep. Um, next up, we have Hannes Leitner from UBS. Hannes, please go ahead with your question. Yes, thank you for letting me on. Um, I got a couple of questions as well. Um, <clears throat> on the growth initiatives like issuing, could you talk uh, about the different use cases and economics for RDN? And will you provide volume breakdown going forward? I'm, I'm aware that you mentioned that you don't expect so many revenues over the near term. And then on the unified commerce, you stated in the past new interest from supermarkets. Could you provide us with an update on that engagement? And then lastly, on the acquiring um, license wins like in Japan and other countries in the first half, and the stated comment around airline volumes being almost back to pre-pandemic uh, volumes, 
um, I think the full stack contribution is quite of a surprise. Maybe you can there dissect the, the contribution from, for example, Japan. You stated Microsoft is, was one of your first customers there. So how much of that was basically impacted by uh, the existing volumes and then just like insourcing the acquiring bit of it to charge full settlement? Okay, so three questions. Maybe to start, uh, Ingo, with issuing. Maybe you can talk us through some of the use cases and how the economics work. Yeah, uh, that, that's okay. Um, I think if you look at the use cases, we have several use cases now live. Um, uh, it's for um, uh, food delivery, for instance, where uh, Glovo has been uh, the most important example, uh, where couriers go to supermarkets to pick up goods, and we uh, issue a, a virtual car or a physical card uh, with a specific amount for a certain period of time. Um, we just talked about expense management for Visma and for uh, takeaway.com. Uh, these are now use cases. OTAs is not a use case where we could issue virtual cards. Of course, with the travel industry now still not completely rebounding, that's more a, a longer term play, but we certainly think that our platform is very well suited for it. The uh, good thing is that if you look at um, the um, economics, it's very similar to how we make margin on the acquiring side. So there is a number of base points that we earn on uh, the interchange fee. So interchange fee typically goes to the issuer, we're issuer now, um, and we share those revenues together with our merchant. And depending on uh, the type of the deal, the location, the number of cards, etc., we um, we agree a certain uh, ref share basically with the merchant. On top of that, we charge a fee for our platform, which is very similar to a gateway fee on the acquiring side. So I think from an economics perspective, there are a lot of similarities with uh, acquiring. Um, currently, it's still early stage. Uh, we haven't uh, given any forecast for isu issuing specifically, but of course, on the long term, we uh, hope that this will uh, uh, contribute to, uh, to our revenues uh, in a significant way. And on uh, Unified Commerce, you mentioned uh, supermarkets specifically. Do either, either of you like to share something on uh, an update there? Yeah, I can say a few words on supermarkets. I think the supermarkets also, with the current uh, pandemic, have uh, started to think about, okay, what else can we do uh, to make sure that we have uh, the right touch points with consumers? So you get all kinds of different customer journeys, curbside pickups, in-app ordering, and that's exactly where we're good at. Uh, so that's why we started to work with supermarkets to help them out. Of course, uh, the, the high volume processing in supermarkets is typically not the first thing they talk about. Uh, but if you want to have like a integrated approach to payments, that's the long term objective, of course, to get that on our platform as well. So uh, we're very excited in this uh, uh, area. And uh, yeah, so far, I, I can't announce any new deals, but it's of course, uh, given the fact that payments are so strategic for this vertical, um, yeah, we're the right partner uh, to work with. Yeah, so the trend towards unified commerce in many verticals uh, we're seeing there as well. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's, for me, that's the key learning from this pandemic, that payments, uh, I think a lot of businesses have seen how strategic payments is to basically enable their business. And uh, that's what, uh, where, we, where we like to help out. Great. And on the last question about our increasing full stack percentage. Yeah. Um, is there any color that you'd like to give maybe Ingo about... Uh, why that's increasing and, and what's driving that? 
Yeah, the, the most important factor that dr is driving the full stack uh, percentage is, of course, that we have more acquiring on our platform. And, of course, I think the question that uh, Hannes just raised around, okay, but how does that work with travel if travel is back? Um, I think it's fair to say that we were just talking about, like, the last week of June is almost the same now as the last uh, or the first week uh, when the pandemic started. So if you look at a full half year, uh, travel uh, volumes are still very low, but we see it picking up again, uh, both on airline sites in the US, but also OTAs uh, globally, uh, because a lot of people have local travel, uh, go to hotels, etc. Uh, so that's what we see uh, returning right now. Yeah. yeah. And of course, the rest of the platform did see growth. So uh, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, great. Um, all right, we have next up, we have a few questions from Adam Wood of Morgan Stanley. He's unable to join our call, but I will ask the questions on his behalf. So there's two questions. One is that there are a few licenses which have been added, especially in the U.S. Uh, what do they enable for us? And is it about customer service, our cost to deliver, our breadth of our offering or something else? Maybe we can start with that one, Peter, and then uh, we can go to the second question. Yeah, if we look at licenses, this is about customer service. So we're looking at what's the best way to service our customer. And I think that the cost of working with a uh, partner for the license, that is, that is not that significant. That's not the reason to do it. So when we look at our licensing structure, we look at what is the best way to service our merchants. And you should look at it in that light, not in a cost-saving light. Makes sense. Makes sense. Great. And the second question he had was, Will you have all periods where investments go up more, or should we broadly expect you to be able to offset a large part of take rate degradation with the operating leverage you have in the business? Maybe for you, Ingo? Yeah, absolutely. So I think if you look at our business model, uh, there's a clear uh, split between how we basically earn our revenues and the cost side of the business. Uh, so on the revenue side, uh, we have always had this uh, approach where if you bring more volume as a merchant to our platform, your price per transaction uh, goes down. But we want to make sure that absolute margins with that customer grow over time. Uh, of course, if you then bring more process volume, the take rate uh, indeed uh, declines. But that's a that's a positive outcome of our business business strategy. Then on the cost side, the cost side is mostly related to uh, building the team, uh, paying for our housing. Uh, the IT infrastructure, and that's unrelated to the revenue side. Uh, so the marginal cost of a transaction is basically zero, and therefore we think that we have a lot of operating leverage in the business. Of course, on the CAPEX side, we continue to invest in building out our platform. Uh, over this half year, we initiated a couple of new projects uh, uh, to, uh, to do this. Um, but if you look then on the ratio between basically EBITDA growth and volume growth, that's very much in line, and that's something we're very proud of. Clear. Thanks. Next up, we have Timothy Chiodo from Credit Suisse. Timothy, please go ahead with your question. Great. Thanks, Ethan. Appreciate you taking the question. So my question relates to some of the platform's comments and the dominant business model comments. So when you think about the underlying SMB payments opportunity that resides within or underneath those platforms, what is a rough percentage that you think about in terms of SMB volumes running through platforms versus being sold either SMB direct or otherwise? Follow up to that is, in addition to you already have payments, you have payouts, you have issuing, what are some of the additional embedded financial services that you could offer those platforms longer term 
things like capital, payroll services, bank accounts, tax prep, et cetera. Maybe Peter to start thinking about our approach to the mid market or the long tail and we talk about platforms or going direct. How do we see those two playing into our uh, our strategy? Um, you see that platforms become a very attractive way for uh, for SMB businesses uh, to operate. So you see that we invest in that, and they have a large stick up. So this is this is a moving uh, area um, where indeed you, you you do see that it's uh, that it becomes more attractive to run over a platform. And would you say that both of those are important to our business, or? We are. Uh, we of course have an enormous track record in servicing uh, larger merchants and being an invisible partner, and that's exactly what we do with the platform. So we make them excel uh, without being visible ourselves. Yeah, clear. And Ingo, maybe on the embedded financial services question, any plans? Yeah. No, I think we we, we continue to work with our platforms to see uh, what is next. At the moment, we 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 have nothing uh, new to announce, but of course. Uh, these are the logical questions to ask, like what kind of, of uh, what kind of products could you potentially offer to uh, to sellers? And we want to make sure that we have the flexibility uh, to offer new uh, new products. Uh, so it's absolutely an area where we closely look at. And uh, once we have things available, we will uh, let you know. Yeah. Clear. Thanks. Next up, we have James Goodman from Barclays. James, please go ahead with your question. Oh, good afternoon. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, so maybe a couple from me, please, as well. Firstly, just on the employee, the headcount ramp. Um, I think you added just over 200 employees in the period. I mean, that's that's actually less than you added in, in either of the last two six-month periods. So presumably the rate of absorption you speak to in terms of employee onboarding is, is a little higher than, than currently. So basically, have there been some challenges to hiring there or, or something in employee churn? Or, or is it simply the case that Agent doesn't need to continue to hire at the rate at which you were doing in the second half last year? Um, and then just maybe coming back to the to the top line development and from a regional perspective, North America, extremely strong. Um, clearly a couple of specific client ramps there, but specifically on the domestic U.S. opportunity, um, you call that out in the shareholder letter as well. Just wondering if you can add some context there in terms of sort of broad competitive displacement or, or, or specifically outline the drivers that are now helping you on the domestic opportunity as opposed to helping um, U.S. merchants internationally. Thank you. Peter, maybe if we start with uh, how we're building the team and then we move to the U.S. afterwards. Um, yeah, if you see, um, um, we've been able, we, we keep the bar high. We've been able to attract uh, uh, talented people. We don't specifically guide on how many people we are higher per quarter or per half year. Uh, we do see, though, that some, some people uh, who... Um, who need to move couldn't do that because of COVID. Uh, so there is there is some impact there. They'll they'll, they'll come later. Uh, so that will be uh, post pandemic. Um, then the second uh, part of the question. So on our U.S. business and why now can we start to win domestic when we couldn't? Uh, well, it's a timing question because that's a service which we first had live in uh, in Europe, and then it only came later into the U.S. Uh, also, the maturity of our business is, of course, uh, uh, much, uh, well, we matured as a business. So we are now such a logical partner for that, uh, that, that you see that happening now uh, yeah. at scale. So it's, it's, from my point of view, pure timing. Yeah. And, of course, we grew an office there. We grew, we grew a presence there. We grew references there. Uh, you cannot uh, hit the ground running from day one. You wish, 
but uh, that takes time. Yeah, and Ingo, it looks like you have something to add. Yeah, I wanted to add, like, the, I, I think what you see in the U.S. is that the uh, unified commerce uh, leads to additional complexity, which we can solve. And I think that's, like, having all those different type of customer journeys is a key topic for also for U.S. retailers. And we're one of the few uh, potential companies that could actually offer this. And that's uh, that's why we see traction. And I think on the online side, I think there is also more complexity with all the local U.S. debit uh, networks uh, where we have an offering. So we can uh, optimize uh, routing in the U.S. And that's why you also see more and more U.S. players to route domestic traffic to uh, to us. Yeah, clear. So while we've been working with U.S. companies for a long time, the complexity in the domestic market is is rather new, and that's giving us a chance to win uh, win there as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, clear. Great. Next up, we have Sanjay Sakrani from KBW. Sanjay, please go ahead. Hi, this is Vasu Govil from Sports Sanjay. Can you guys hear me? Yes, we hear you well. Go ahead. Uh, thank you. So thanks for taking my question. I guess first I wanted to follow up on the question about the banking license approval in the U.S. Could you maybe give us a little bit more detail on how your product roadmap in the U.S. might evolve as a result of that license? Um, and the second question I had was just, you know, you've seen pretty strong growth. You called out travel volumes are rebounding. But as we think about the other verticals where COVID sort of pressured volumes, uh, what have you seen in terms of where we stand now in terms of normalization of those volumes? And could that continue to be a tailwind into the back half as some of those volumes come back? Thank you. Yeah. Ingo, maybe the U.S. banking license, how that, uh, or branch license rather, how that uh, impacts our product roadmap there. Yeah, I think one of the main reasons uh, to apply for the banking license is uh, what Peter just mentioned, is to improve our service levels for our merchants. I think the key thing what we can do is settle directly uh, to merchants, so having no dependencies on any third-party banks. I think that's a very similar thing that we have done in in Europe, for instance, uh, over the past years. Um, And that's, of course, part of our uh, product promise, that we want to have full control over our uh, value chain. And that's really appreciated by, uh, by our merchants. So that's the first thing that we're uh, going to do. And probably also, uh, well, that's why I'm CFO, probably one of the most important things, because if you have full control over the payout of, uh, of your cash, then of course you're in a way better position than if you're dependent upon third parties. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And if we think of some of the more macroeconomic trends, Peter, some of, she mentioned travel, but it may be another it could be in-store volumes we saw specifically in retail. Anything that you can add to give context there on, on what we've seen on the platform? Um, well, we have, we have what I think is amazing that we have seen how uh, point of sale now uh, uh, doubled. Yeah. Uh, and that's despite that we are not that, that not all stores around the world are open. Um, so the, you see that that the team has been uh, very flexible in helping merchants to roll out. Um, other macroeconomic trends? Do you have things to add? No, I, I think if you if you typically think about the retail sector, uh, they are the one of the sectors together with travel that are mostly hit by the pandemic. With all the stores closed, and I think one of the strategy or strategic discussions we have had with a lot of retailers like how can we further implement a multi-channel strategy? And I think that's what you see right now also for the upcoming period, like um, how can we do more implementations? Um, How do we make sure that we add another channel uh, to the mix? Um, So I think if if the pandemic is over, of course, we expect 
in-store travel or in-store traffic to be back at, at original levels. But at the same time, we strongly believe that we have added our uh, install base quite significantly. Uh, so that makes the total pie way bigger than uh, pre-pandemic. Clear. Yeah. Thanks. Next up, we have Jeff Cantwell. Jeff, please go ahead. Hey, can you hear me? Yep. can hear you well. Go ahead. Hey, great. Great. Thanks so much. And, uh, and congrats on the results. Um, it, it seems to be one of the key topics. Uh, can, can you talk a little more about uh, North America right now? Because the region's, you know, now 22% of the net revenue of the company. Um, maybe just talk a little more about the reasons why you think you're getting uh, those volumes, you know, either from competition or from new use cases, you know, so, so to speak. Um, and do you see any, you know, further opportunity to do that with other Adyen customers beyond those which you are currently processing? Um, and then the second question is, you know, just, just to kind of piggyback on that last one, can you just discuss a little more about the, the U.S. banking charter uh, in terms of where those impacts will show up in the financial model? I was under the impression there might be some impact to, you know, your cost, for example. So just curious if you could discuss that a little bit. Thank you. Ingo, maybe on both and the uh, reven net revenue comp contribution in the U.S. and uh, the U.S. banking license. Yeah, sure. I think for, for the U.S. we will continue to work uh, with uh, our current customers uh, to add new channels to the mix. Uh, I think we, if you have more and more showcases uh, that unified commerce works, it's easier to sell it to, uh, to other existing merchants. At the same time, also a lot of new retailers uh, we're in talks with. Um, and then, of course, we also have the platform business uh, that is becoming more and more important in the U.S., uh, where we are one of the few companies that can actually offer unified commerce through platforms. So having a point-of-sale offering on platforms is also a very strong offering in the U.S. Uh, so that's why we expect to, to further grow our U.S. domestic volumes uh, in, in the next years and that the investment that we have made over the past de decade uh, will uh, uh, further uh, uh, increase. And then on, on the banking charter, I think if you look at the economics, um, this, in the end, this is, it's, it's more about service levels than economics. Um, I think if you look at, for instance, acquiring, we're still working with BIN partners uh, in the US. Uh, even if we uh, could get that ourselves, that's not going to make a huge difference in the economics because we have huge volumes in the US, so we have quite attractive pricing already with our bin sponsors. They're great partners. Uh, it's, it's all about uh, making sure that we get from a settlement perspective to the best service levels. Uh, because if you grow at, a, at the pace that we do, that is a very important factor. You can't miss out a payment because you're relying on a, a third-party settlement bank. Uh, and specifically in the platform business, uh, that's a key thing that we've learned. Like, uh, those are all small sellers. They're waiting every day uh, for their cash. They want to pay out uh, to, uh, uh, they want to pay out, for instance, their wages. So you need to make sure that you never miss a settlement. And by having full control over settlement, it sounds like a silly thing, but it's, uh, it's very, very important. Yeah. Clear. 
Yeah. So much more about service levels than about a cost driver that we should expect. Exactly. And of course, there's some cost optimizations uh, possible. Yeah. Um, but that's not the key thing. And that is, I think, very similar to what we have done in Europe. Also, when we applied for the banking license in Europe, we never thought like, okay, this is going to be a huge cost optimization. It's mainly because uh, we wanted, wanted to improve the service levels. And that's also the feedback that we have gotten uh, from merchants that, uh, yeah, payout has become more stable than in the past. Clear? Thanks. Well, next up, we have Jamie Friedman from Susquehanna. Jamie, please go ahead. Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Good morning. Um, I wanted to ask, um, directed to Peter and your recent comments on point of sale and the strategic significance of point of sale. Um, I was just wondering, does point of sale, from your experience, always follow e-commerce and Omni, or do you have any instances you're seeing where the point of sale comes first and the others actually follow? Yeah, we have seen uh, many examples where the merchant said point of sale is so complex for us to run that in multiple countries that uh, first we will migrate point of sale to you and then uh, online volumes will follow. So um, it's not always uh, omnichannel or unified uh, commerce, but it indeed is uh, our separate choices. Um, what I like about it is that we have such a track record in e-com that, that you now see how we build our track record in point of sale. So that, that, that makes us the unified commerce player. Great. Uh, Ethan, if I could just sneak in one more. Yeah, no problem, Jamie. Go ahead. Um, you know, it seems like there's such a proliferation of uh, wallets and funding sources in the world. Is that, and I know there's a fair amount of detail on your website about what funding sources you accept locally in places like Brazil. Um, but I was just wondering, is that a technological challenge for the company and the industry? Or is that, like in the scheme of things, relatively easy to address? It's a form of complexity that we're good at solving. So what you see is that different shoppers have different preferences to pay. You see people traveling now, again, a little bit more than, than, the, than the year before. And that means that they want to pay with that payment method. And that, that increases conversion. So for us to be able to, uh, to supply those services, uh, that, that helps merchants choosing for us. So it's complexity that we take away. We don't see it as a challenge. We see it as a specialism that we're very good at. Thank you. Thanks. Next up, we have Paul Kratz from Jefferies. Paul, go ahead. Hi. Uh, thank you very much for uh, letting me ask the question. Um, I, I guess for Roller and Lightspeed, these are both you know vertical specific you know software kind of dash hardware vendors. So how should we think about those relationships in terms of exclusivity and how they go to market with your product? And maybe then also to what extent do you tailor your offer? for these platforms, or is the innovation really more led by the platform themselves and leveraging, I guess, your API uh, documentation and everything to, to kind of come up with new features using your, your platform? Thanks. Ingo? Yeah, if you look at those uh, players, we, uh, we work closely with them. We are the party in the background, so they typically manage the relationship uh, uh, with the sellers. Uh, they have a good integration. They understand the needs, but they're often lacking yeah, the best payment implement implementation. And that's when we're uh, going to help. 
um, and and that's all. But we're often not visible, um, and and that's also the type of role that we uh, that we that we like. So it's a, a very good implementation of our agents for agent for platforms uh, implementation, um, and yeah, we will continue to focus on this also for other platforms or other verticals where this is uh, relevant. Um, it's a very generic implementation, so uh, if we uh, build something, we want to make it available for all merchants, so that may also means that we want to make it available for all platforms, so we don't do any tailor-made work uh, for those uh, players. Uh, we just use the standard functionality of the platform. I think that's also the strength of our platform. Yeah. Clear? Great. Next up, we have David Togut from Evercore ISI. David, please go ahead. Uh, thank you very much for taking my question. One of the uh, main themes of the pandemic and payments has been the increased demand for liquidity for many participants in the payment ecosystem. In certain parts of merchant acquiring, for example, in Brazil, acquirers actually charge a premium for liquidity. You've had a lot of success with same-day settlement to cash in Europe through your banking license. You don't seem to be charging for that greater liquidity. Should we expect that feature to roll out in the U.S. once you have your uh, federal bank license? And how important do you expect that to be to your future growth in the U.S. if, in fact, you offer same-day settlement to cash uh, without a charge to the retailer? Ingo. Yeah, so the, uh, the same-day settlement... Uh, uh, started basically as a reconciliation product, so to basically make the life of our retailers easier, that basically today's uh, sales you immediately get paid out uh, and that you fully understand which transactions are in, and that is partly pre-funding. Uh, if it is really the same day or next day, um, it comes with a fee, so we don't do that for free because it has this uh, pre-funding. Uh, if we do it like the next day or the day after, uh, then we offer it for free. So it depends a bit on also the liquidity pattern uh, of our uh, merchants. Uh, typically, we have the philosophy that if we have to attract funds for it, uh, we need to charge for it because we want to have profitable business uh, in, in our books. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's in Europe, that's in, in each region where we, uh, where we offer, uh, offer this product. And of course, we were just referring to Brazil. Brazil is very specific with a 30-day settlement uh, uh, delay and uh, all kind of products around that, including anticipations, uh, where I can talk hours about. Uh, <laughs> I know uh, you can. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> Great. Thanks. Um, and now we're up with our last question, and we actually now have Adam Wood back in the call. So I asked a couple of questions earlier on his behalf, but he's now here. So Adam... Do you mind going ahead with your with your question? Are you here? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we hear you well. It's very kind of you to take a couple of extra ones from me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Maybe can we just talk about um, the U.S. first of all, um, another period of very strong acceleration in that business. Obviously, we're aware of a big merchant ramp up there. Could, could you give us a feel in terms of maybe from both a net revenue standpoint, but also more importantly from a pipeline standpoint, X that merchant ramp up. Um, are you seeing a similar kind of acceleration in the U.S. business in terms of the business that you're doing and the pipeline that you're building in that market? And maybe a second one that you alluded to in the financial statements, you talked about um, strong customer authentication in Europe being a major driver. Um, where are we on that, do you think? Are merchants kind of at the early stages of dealing with this? Um, are we actually kind of midway through it? And do you see competitors 
coming up with anything similar to what you've managed to come up with to deal with that strong customer authentication issue in the European market. Thank you. So let's start with uh, the US. Is that single merchant driven or is that uh, across the width of the platform? Yeah, it's across the width of the platform. Uh, I think that's the, the most important thing that we have seen over the first half uh, year. Uh, the growth is uh, from big merchants. Uh, of course, uh, uh, Adam, you're referring to, to as the big, single big merchant is eBay. Of course, eBay has been important to us. They also announced in their earnings results that they are happy with uh, performance so far. Uh, so also we benefited from this. But that's not the reason why we're growing at this space. Uh, it's across the width of the merchant base, and that's also why we're so pleased uh, with it. Um, if you look at the pipeline, uh, that's, uh, I think, very similar. We're working on a lot of uh, potential new deals. We're adding uh, new merchants to our uh, platform. Uh, so we feel uh, very comfortable uh, in that position. Great. And then moving to the next question on PSD2 and then specifically stronger customer authentication. Are there any trends that we've seen uh, already playing out here in Europe as it's being implemented? Yeah, well, it is being implemented right now or it is live now. So uh, we see that it's a great way to get in touch with new customers because they see the flaws if it doesn't work well. Um, I think everyone that lives in Europe knows those situations where you want to pay something online and you get to the second factor and doesn't f second factor doesn't work as you expect it to uh, to be or your route then doesn't work and and i think our technology because we have everything in-house is built in a way that you get to the highest conversion levels that's what leading merchants in europe now see uh, and that's why they started start to work with us so will this have a spillover effect to next uh, uh, periods absolutely because i think that more and more retailers realize that if you implement it in the wrong way uh, that you actually lose a lot of conversion, and uh, yeah, in the end, for if you if you run large um, volumes on the platform, conversion is very important. So uh, yeah, that's how we hope to change this into a benefit for us uh, to help merchants uh, get better conversion. So that complexity word comes up again. Another area where we're seeing more uh, more and more complexity. Yeah, to exactly. Solve for. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, that wraps up the Q and A portion of today's session. Thank you all for your questions. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Ingo, for spending time with us today. Thank you, uh, Ethan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks. thanks. It's been very enjoyable. Hope you've, uh, you've enjoyed your time with us. And goodbye from Amsterdam. Take care.